Everybody say love. Now, what we've learned over the last couple of weeks, that it's not specifically talking about just the, the emotional, you know, um, love that we easily get so confused by. I was in a conversation this week with a, uh, a colleague, and he was talking about some of the people he's had conversations with, and um, many people don't understand the difference between lust and love. And I have to be honest with you, I probably did not understand there was a difference until I was probably married a number of years, and I, I had to kind of had to come to grips that love is not lust. And some of y'all are like, well, Pastor Damon, I never knew that. Can we have a, a teaching session on that? Yeah, we will, but not today, okay? Um, but what we also learned is that um, in humans, God created us to have relationship. We are really supposed to live in the context of community, that we're supposed to be there for one another on all levels, on all levels, whether it be uh, friends in the community, whether it be siblings, whether it be neighbors, whether it be, um, you know, uh, relationships such as marriage or, or dating and, and being engaged. And we talked a lot about that last Sunday. Um, so just know that we've covered all aspects of relationships. And uh, today we're going to cover one. Uh, that is very, 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 very near and dear to my heart. Not the topic that I'm going to use, but the context of marriage. And I hope a lot of you um, leave with something uh, that you've never been able to uh, adopt into your life. Next week is the conclusion of this series, Relations Strive. And next week I'm going to be preaching on love like you've never been hurt. And um, you can even see that in our relationship with God. Because we fell head over heels for God, for some of us. You know, we just, man, fell in love with God and something didn't go uh, the way we thought. Or maybe something just really traumatic came into across our path and, and we lost that, that fervent love, you know. And we kind of got a little distant from God and we got hurt, not by God, but by the circumstance, the situation. And uh, then we choose to kind of just isolate ourselves. And relationship-wise, we do the same thing, right? Like one friend hurts us, we let them go. We don't let the next person in. Uh, whether it be a marriage or, or dating relationship, we get hurt, we build another wall. Why? Because we don't want to get hurt again. So next week, we're going to be covering basically all aspects of relationships that I've covered up until this morning and how to love again. How to love like you've never been hurt. Have you ever tried that before? To love like you've never been hurt. You can raise your hands in here. Raise your hands if you're sure. You remember those commercials back in the 80s? No? Y'all young people have no idea what I'm talking about. It was a deodorant commercial. <laughs> sure. Everybody say, raise your hands if you're sure. I'm sure. I'll put both hands up. No, but um, next week we'll be learning about how to love even after you have been hurt. Everybody take a deep breath. Y'all were just singing so loud. Y'all just got de-winded. You know what I mean? Y'all look like a bunch of deflated uh, life rafts. Because we're just relaxed. You know, come on, let's get back in the zone. Um, we are talking about relation strive. I'll give you two words. Relation is the noun, the aspect or quality of two things, or in our case, two persons, two people that are coming together and work on something, that are working together. Everybody say relation strive not survive but strive and that's the verb aspect of a word we got to make great efforts make great efforts to achieve or obtain something to devote much energy towards so our relationships we we don't want to survive we want to strive in all of our relationships and last week we learned uh, of a great great resource 
that can help on all areas, all levels of relationships. And there's certain a progressive stage that we should begin implementing in our lives. Even if we're married, we've been married 50, 60 years, we're still initiating, we're still creating, we're still developing new relationships with anyone. And the best way to do this, I believe, is to go by this little resource called the Relationship Attachment Model. And it was devised by Dr. John Van Epp. And you guys can do some research on it. It's all over the place. Um, But basically, he talks about there's this progression in every relationship in humans that we should get to know someone. And that's a certain level that you will only be able to decide for yourself. When do you fully know someone? And once you really get a chance to know someone, then you can begin to trust that person. Then it's only safe. You know, that you begin trusting that person as you establish this the knowing about them and you begin to trust them. Then there's a level of reliance. You can start relying on them because of the trust. Right. They can meet some of your needs and you can meet some of their needs. And once you get to that stage in your relationship, then you can get to the commitment level. That's when you, you know, you commit to that friendship. I'm there for you, man. I will back it up. You call me and I will be there. I will turn other things down so that I can I can help you so I can be with you. so I can spend time with you, whatever the case may be. And then the last part of those progressive relationship stages is what we call touch. And that's the time where you're just really close. You're like a brother is to a brother, a brother to a sister, you know, a friend to a friend. We are just close. Now, dealing with relationships, that's talking, you know, dating relationships. When we say touch, that is more on the intimate level, on the real connecting, the real bonding level that we talked about last week. Everybody on, on page four? Y'all there? Page four? All right. And I'm preaching fast because I, for the first time, I really do have to finish by 1130. So God be with us. Um, so today I'm going to be talking to the married couples. Okay, for those of you who are single, divorced, um, hang out because... You may have gotten divorced for other reasons than you were innocent, right? Right? Sometimes, um, yeah, because sometimes you're not really all that innocent. I have talked to a lot of couples in the last 20-something years, and I'm like, ooh, baby, you got a lot to learn. So even if you're not married here, I'm just letting you know, today's message is going to be very explicit in some manners. Some of you may blush. And the reason why is because as as church, one area that we have erred on is silence when it comes to sexual intimacy in the context of marriage. Uh, we don't talk or teach a lot about sex when it talk, speaking about marriage and how to keep it healthy and how to keep it coming, how to keep it going good. Right. We don't talk about it. Why? Because it just it just feels uncomfortable. Anybody uncomfortable already besides me? No? All right, some of y'all, y'all like, yeah, we talk about this, all these newlyweds, like right here and right here, they're just like, yeah, let's do this. I'm coming back this afternoon for, you know, part two. And all of you have been married, and it's been a battleground for you, like, why did I choose, of all Sundays, why did I choose to come today? But we are going to be talking about some very sensitive topics, because, you know, it is something that's not covered much in church, and it should be. Because sex is in Scripture. You guys dig through it. It's there. I know I came from the world. I had, I had some addictions with, with relationships. So when I got into God's Word, I'm like, okay, God, you got a lot to fix in me, and it's not going to happen overnight, so I need to learn all I need to learn 
One of them was sex. Another one was, was pride. Another one was stealing. I mean, I had to go through like the whole list of sins, lust and just, um, you know, uh, what do you call it? Envy, hatred. I had them all. So today we're going to invest into you guys. OK, I worked with countless couples, married and not married. And all of the couples that I've ever spoken with, if they're having some sort of marital difficulties or turbulent areas in their marriage, most of the time, I'm not saying always, but a majority of the time, not only me, but other research I've done, the two topics that are the most tension-causing or conflict-causing, two topics. I'm going to let you guys answer that question. In a marriage... Okay, so I'm not reading, I'm not... You guys, I heard it. They said it. Money... And sex, those are the two top points of conflict. And for those of you who are newlyweds and you haven't had those intense times of fellowship and conversation yet, it may come. But hopefully if you take what we learned today, you may avoid those conversations. But yes, sex and finances are often the two topics that cause conflict in marriages. And today, because of time restraint, we're not going to be able to cover both talking about sex and finances because Adam and Eve really didn't even have to struggle about finances. You know, God just commanded them to, to, to be blessed, right? And to, and to have sex. That's what he said. He said, be fruitful and multiply. That was one of the first commands that he gave to Adam and Eve. So that he didn't give them like financial peace university for them to get their finances in order, right? He didn't do that. He said, you guys need to go out and um, be blessed. And God says, be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 1, 28. So today, all I want to do is I just want to help you couples be open to the conversation of talking a little bit more about the intimate side of your life. Because if there's one thing that God has blessed a husband and a wife with, I'm speaking for myself and Brandy, it's the, it's the intimate relationship that you have between a husband and a wife. Some of you teenagers are feeling real awkward right now, and I understand that. I got you. Um, but here's, what you, here's the best thing you could ever do. If you're going to learn about sex, I believe God's house and the Word of God is the best place to learn about it. I firmly believe that because if I would have been taught this as a, as a young, 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 young kid, I would have taken a lot of different roads, many, many different roads, and it would not have been the path that I've taken. So please take some notes, take some mental notes so that you can grow from today's teaching. So, yes, the Bible does talk about sex. They actually have a book in the Bible and it's basically called like, you know, just the, 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 the sex manual. A whole book is devoted towards sex. It's pretty interesting. You want to dig in there. It's called the Song of Solomon. You want to look there right now. It's in the Old Testament, chapter 7, verse 7 through 12 is what we're going to be looking at today. I want to give you just a quick few little scriptures on that so you can see what I am talking about. You guys turn there. Song of Solomon, chapter 7. It's pretty erotic if you read from cover to cover of it or from beginning to end. Um, I've even heard it stated that way back when that it wasn't even allowed for like Hebrew boys couldn't read the Song of Solomon until they got to a certain age. You know, so I just imagine these little, you know, inquisitive young Hebrew boys, they would run up into a building like, you know, and grab a scroll and just go hide in the corner, maybe run around the alley and just they just open up this scroll with all the writings of Song of Solomon. They're like, whoa. Sean, not you. I'm just talking about everybody else. 
You know, not you either, Dale. Uh, but just that's how intense it is if you really, with a little bit of imagination, you really begin to understand and see what is being spoken about in that culture that it was written in Song of Solomon, okay? So let's go to verse uh, 7 through 12. The husband is speaking to the wife, and this is what he says. He says, you are slender like a palm tree, and your breasts are like clusters of dates. I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like great clusters and the fragrance of your breath like apples. May your kisses be as exciting as the best wine. Doesn't that just sound romantic and erotic? Not really. I do. I mean, I just, I just get all flushed. I'm like, wow, this guy is spitting it out. Y'all know some of y'all husbands used to talk like this, right? Y'all know it. That's how y'all used to do. And then the wife responds and she says, yes, wine that goes down smoothly for my lover, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I am my lover's and he claims me as his own. Come, my love, let's go out into the fields and spend the night among the wildflowers. Let us get up early and go to the vineyards to see if the grapevines have budded, if the blossoms have opened and the pomegranates have bloomed. There I will give you my love. And when I began to read that scripture, I said, man, she's giving that dude a rain check. You know what I mean for you married couples? She's giving him a rain check. She's playing this little cat and mouse deal. But what she was really doing was explaining to him that I want the environment to be right. That's what she was saying. I want the flowers to be in bloom. I want to just spend the night out there in the wildflowers. And there I will give you my love. And there's plenty more. I can continue reading, but I'm going to blush. Maybe you're going to blush or you're going to want to leave early and get home quickly. And we, we need you. We need you like between 12 and 2 for a Persian unpack. So a Persian pack. So I'm not going to go there today. Is that OK with you guys? But, but the culture was different. I've never spoken to my wife like this. Um, I've compared her to, a, I used to call her pumpkin all the time. I mean, for years, I'd call her pumpkin, thinking that it was just a cute, lovey-dovey, like just warm. She's like, baby, you understand that I don't want to be identified with the shape of a pumpkin? And it never dawned on me. Never dawned on me. I said, okay, asparagus. I love you, asparagus. You know what I mean? And I did it for a while. She's like, let's just go back to pumpkin because it ain't working for me, you know. But anyway, that's not the culture. We don't speak like that. But in suggestion, I know you guys, maybe you didn't, you weren't on your game for Valentine's Day. So you really get a chance to get those romantic statements put out there. Please don't take notes from this guy. Please, please don't compare your wife's breast to, a, 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 you know, a cluster of dates. OK, because if you do these days, this is what she imagines. When you're talking about this, when you're making, describe, this is what, this is what she sees, a cluster of dates. And he says, I will climb that tree. Listen, I don't want you guys, your wife, no, it's not going to work out. Ladies, can y'all agree? Do y'all support me? Okay, y'all got that. Okay, so men, please don't, don't do it, please. It's not going to go over well. It may not go the direction you desire, Okay. So when looking in Scripture, when looking at biblical, you know, biblically, sex is good. Now, some of you want to argue and say, no, I think it's a whole lot better than that. But sex is only good. Sex is only great in the context of marriage. And that's the way God has set it up. 
don't argue with me because I have argued with God in my early years of being not married and even my early years of being married. I wasn't always following Christ. And it was a fight. It was a battle. It was an addiction that many have. Sex is good, but within the confined boundaries of marriage. And after 27 years of being happily married with Brandy, I have learned that the boundaries of marriage are actually for my benefit. So if you're not married yet, I'm going to let you know that sex within the confines, within the boundaries of marriage, it's beneficial to you. It works out really good. And I'm going to tell you today the reason why. God created us with certain DNA, with certain chemicals, with certain responses to the way that a male and female connect. He made us this way. And, and the way that he made us is to, if we're going to be with someone, that's what it's for. It's for marriage. And we're going to see that, okay? Um, we're going to be talking about psychologically some of the connections we make, physically some of the connections we make, chemically some of the connections we make. And as I shared last week about dating, when you get intimately involved or sexually involved as a couple, you are sharing part of you with that other person. And there is this undeniable bond. I was very, very promiscuous. I was a troubled youth. And I was involved in a lot of relationships, inappropriate relationships. And I would try and get out of them because it was just, it was wrong. It was nasty. It was horrible. And for some reason, even years later, I could not shake I couldn't get it out of my mind. I couldn't walk away from it. And I thought something was wrong with me. I thought I was broken. But what I didn't understand, that there was this soul bond that had happened, that had been established because of my intimacy with other people growing up. And I'm sure a lot of you have struggled with that as well, thinking that you've made some decisions and, and you're still dealing with some of those things, and you have. It's because you didn't go through the steps you know, that you jump past know and trust and rely. You went straight to the touch. You went straight to the, the bonding of romantic relationships. Well, God is a God that can restore you. God is a God who can set you free. Everybody said amen. amen. If you go look at society, much of society says that sex is just something physical. That's what I thought it was as a young person, just something physical. But no. There's so many more ties. There's so many more connections. There's so many more bonds that are established when that type of relationships are occurring. Did you know, now I know you wives may kind of speak up for this, but sex actually changes your brain patterns. All ladies should say amen. Because that's all he ever thinks about. That he got his mind on one thing. Am I the only one that has heard that? Come on, man, raise your hand, be brave. It actually, it does. Sexual relationships actually begins to rewire and alter your thought patterns. And there's reasons why, because God made us that way. So I want to give you guys the, the biology behind the theology, okay, of sex. Why did God create this covenant union of husband and wife in the context of marriage? Why did he create this? between one man and one woman, well, here's the reason why, is that every time you engage in sexual activity, every time, husband and wife, listen to me, you have three chemicals that, that are dispersed into your body, into your brain, 
Okay, some, sometimes they're just flooded, these three, these three chemicals. One of them, every time this happens, okay, dopamine is one of them, and it's a neurotransmitter that is referred to or known as the pleasure molecule or the good feeling molecule or the feeling, good feeling hormone, okay? So why, why, do, why is this something so blissful? Why do you enjoy it? Because your brain creates this chemical called dopamine and it just floods your mind and then now you're operating underneath the influence of that natural chemical that God put in us everybody say the feel-good hormone so if you don't believe me about the power of dopamine have you guys ever seen the effects of those who use a drug called ecstasy so when you look at someone taking you know or using illegal drugs this dopamine just just pours out in, in pretty significant doses, okay? And it's so captivating, and it's just, just, there's such a bonding power, and that's kind of what causes some of the addictive manners because it makes you feel so, so good when you get that, that huge dose of dopamine that you naturally want it again. How many of you guys like to be happy? How many of you guys like to enjoy things? You just want to do it. You want to you enjoy it again. Where with drugs, you know, it, it, there's a downer. There's, there's a life cycle that is very short, and it goes down real quick, and then, oh, I want it again. But sexually involved, when dopamine comes into your system, your body retains it and it stays at certain levels for a little longer, period. So have you ever noticed that after husband and wives, you've engaged in this type of relationship, this type of activity, that just your day is better? Anybody? I told y'all we was going to blush, right? Like, like the leaves are greener, right? Like the birds are chirping. Just, I'm just happy. I'm happy for a couple of days or a week or a month, whatever it is for you or your spouse. Why? Because it stays, it retains. That dopamine is something that just makes you feel good. It positively affects your mind. The second chemical that comes into your body, husband and wife. Now, this affects both male and female, okay? But it affects males more because of the way that it interacts with testosterone, okay? So vasopressin is another neurotransmitter hormone that, that goes out into your body. And with males, it interacts a little differently because of the testosterone, more so in the male brain than it does the female brain. And this is the reason why they considered or call it the monogamy molecule. Not only does it affect the brain in certain ways, but it also causes this level of exclusivity. So basically, it, it, makes, it makes one of, you know, the male or female just be more exclusive. Like, I'm only devoted to this one. And it's found in animals, and they even did tests that, you know, for certain species that have lifelong mates, what they did is they gave them some sort of suppressant to vasopressin, for a certain period of time, and they would find that the male and the species that is typically a lifelong mate, they would find that the male would not be so devoted or, you know, exclusively connected or committed to the female and would go off and wouldn't be as present. And eventually they would find if they kept those levels low enough of vasopressin that the male would end up mating with some other female, okay? And then when they got the levels back up to where they needed to be, then they would find that this male would come back to its mate, its lifelong mate. 
Now, I know a lot of y'all are thinking, man, I wish I could have gave my ex-husband a shot of some vasopressin, right? I know some of y'all are thinking that. I'm not going to be too holy. But, but you guys understand that there's chemicals that God puts in us. And one of them is vasopressin. It basically, it helps support vigilant mindsets. It also helps you kind of, kind of guard, and you want to guard, guard your partner. You want to guard your property. You're devoted. You're connected. That's why they call it the monogamy molecule. Everybody said, I'm getting this. Now, the third chemical that is dispersed into your mind is oxytocin. Okay, and it's also a neurotransmitter that affects male and female mind, but more so on the female side. It affects females more than it does, or the effects are a little bit more intense in a female than they are in a male. Similar to vasopressin, but oxytocin has its way with ladies, okay? Um, it's heavily involved in childbirth. Um, it's heavily involved in breastfeeding. Why? Because it, 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 it gives this bonding force. Like, I, it just connect. It's a relationship. It, it's a connection that I do not want to stop. I don't want it to end. I, I want to nurture. I want to be with this. And that's what basically happens with oxytocin. It's, the same thing happens in males, but more so in females. And it's, it's called the bond molecule. Some people call it that. Some people call it the love hormone. It creates this bonding, caring notion um, that's associated with empathy, with trust, even sexual activity and relationship building, okay? You guys got that so far? So when you look at these three chemicals, the biology behind the theology of sex, these three chemicals, you have one that is pleasing for both husband and wife, okay? You have the second one that is, is more, interacts with testosterone differently, and then he, he, I'm devoted, I'm a lifelong mate, I'm here. And then you have the wife's side who has the oxytocin, which, you know, wants to be close, wants to be bonded, wants to snuggle. Everybody say snuggle. So the awesome part about God gave us this. Why? Because it makes marriage beautiful. Do you see that? That between husband and wife, everything that God could offer is right there between you and your spouse. And you get a chance. These chemicals come in and they do what they're supposed to do. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful when it comes to marriage. So I want to tell you a couple things that premarital sex does that I wish they would have told me, but nobody did. Okay. Three things. It increases. Premarital sex increases a risk for a divorce. I even read that it's three times more likely to get a divorce if you've been involved romantically prior to marriage. Number two, it increases your risk of infidelity in the marriage. If you can't keep it together, if you, can't have, you don't have self-control outside of marriage, then it's more than likely going to be extremely difficult without the power of God coming into your husband or wife. It's going to be nearly impossible for you to be able to withhold and have self-control in marriage, okay? I've also seen that uh, premarital sex decreases your odds from having a very fulfilling sexual relationship with your spouse, okay? Um, and you can do your own research. If this is something that is of a topic that you want to dig into, you can do that, okay? So I want to give you a number of scriptures as we start wrapping things up. Um, 
One, let's, let's see what Apostle Paul has to say specifically about romance or, I guess, sexual intimacy between a husband and wife, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 and 18. Um, I'm reading this out of the Common English Bible, which is something I never, ever use, but I like the way that it was worded today, so I, I felt I'd go ahead and share it with you. Um, it says, Don't you know that anyone who is joined to someone who is sleeping around Okay, someone who is a, a prostitute, okay, in other translations. But it says, don't you know that anyone who is joined to someone who is sleeping around is one body with that person? Okay, that person may have been with other people, but whenever you engage with them, you become one with that person. Why? Because Scripture says the two will become one flesh. Verse 17 says the one who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So if you consider yourself a Christian, if Jesus has taken residency in your heart, in your spirit, guess what? You are joined. You became one flesh with Christ. And then he goes on in verse 18. It says, avoid sexual immorality. Every sin that a person can do is committed outside the body, except those who engage in sexual immorality commit sin against his own body. And if you're a Christian, I just want to let you know that Christ is not comfortable engaging in these type of activities are you hearing me because you are one with him so just think about that next time you want to click 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 on your phone or swipe or next time you want to flirt with so and so and you want things to go further or you get involved romantically with someone as a christian i'm letting you know that uh, that is not something christ will partake of so you need to decide whether or not christ resides in you or not? Are you following me? All right. So let's continue going a little bit further. We've learned about the biblical side of sex as well as the chemical side. Now, as I end, I want us to turn or learn how to turn a potential battleground. How many couples have problems with this? I'm going to raise both my hands and a foot because at least the first 10 years of our marriage, it was good. It was great. It was horrible. It was rough. It was a battleground. So hopefully you'll get God's word in you, understand where you can turn a battleground into a pleasant playground as a husband and wife. First Corinthians seven verses one through six. So they were writing Apostle Paul. They wanted to know about is it good? Is it good for a man to have sex? Is it good to not have sex? Is it good to practice celibacy? And this is what Paul says to the, the church at Corinth. He says, now about the, the question you wrote, he said, it's good for a man not to have sex with a woman. It's good to be celibate. But he says, but each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband because of sexual immorality, because there's a temptation for infidelity. The husband should meet his wife's sexual needs and the wife should do the same for her husband. The wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not refuse to meet each other's needs unless you both agree for a short period of time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come back together again so that Satan might not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He said, I'm saying this to give you permission. I'm not saying this as a command. So you guys seeing that once you're married, once you are married, that your body is not your own when it comes to sex. You guys, you're, the way God intended is that you serve one another. Everybody say serve one another. So there's ways that you need to look at your own perspective and how you view yourself. You need to study your spouse. How is it that I can serve my spouse in the bedroom? 
and likewise the opposite way. So I'm asking you to hear me clearly. This is my heart behind this whole message, okay? Whatever history you have, listen to me, husbands and wives. Listen to me, those who plan on getting married. Whatever history you have, whether it be harmful, whether you have a medical condition that doesn't allow for a certain healthy amount of sexual activity in your marriage, whatever type of difficult emotional or hurt that you've experienced, I know it's horrible. And I know it's hard to move past. And I know it's hard to enjoy all that God has for you, husband and wife. All I'm asking is that you guys begin to make it a priority to get better. Can we just agree on that? To make it a priority to get better, to get healing. Go find help, whether you need counseling in your, in your marriage, whether there's medical issues that you need to address. Please, I'm just asking that you guys make it a priority to get your intimate side of your marriage, everybody say better, better. Now you guys know that, that men are like microwaves and women are like crockpots, right? Have you ever heard that before? <laughs> men are like microwaves and women are like crockpots. Now what that means is that, you know, wives, the way that they get warmed up and they get up to the right temperature... He says it's a little time consuming. You need to understand that your wife needs non-sexual connections with you way before y'all enter that room because she's a crockpot. She wants to snuggle. She wants to feel close. She wants to simmer. She wants to be warm. She wants to let all the ingredients just really get inside her heart and just, oh, we just spent the day together. Now, husbands, you know on a microwave how it says add 30 seconds and it immediately just kicks on? That's how a husband is because you just start snuggling and the husband wants to break out the dishes and the utensils. He's ready, you know? And I know you wives are like, what is wrong with you? I just had a bad day and I just wanted to give you a hug. Oh, Okay. <laughs> I thought you were telling me something. No, I just wanted a hug. Husbands, you need to understand. She's a crockpot. There are things that you can do for a week that will prepare the both of you to enjoy each other when that moment comes. Husbands, I'm asking you to study your wives. Really look and find out what really makes her happy. Husbands, can y'all do that? It's not a microwave thing. It takes, you want to study your wives. You want to spend time with them. Why? Here, listen to me, husband and wives. Why am I saying you guys need to work on this? Look at what Paul says in verse 5. He says, listen, y'all need to mutually agree. Don't hold back from one another. Mutually agree. If you're going to hold off, if you're going to pass up, if you're going to do a rain check, he said, let it be mutual that you both agreed upon it. Now, I know a lot of you, when you hold back, it's not because you go and pray, like Paul says, right? It's because your husband said your jeans look tight, right? It's because your wife didn't tell you how awesome of a husband you were, and you big dragon slayer, you. You know, we need all that sometimes. But here's what he says. He says, come back together again. Come back together again so that Satan might not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Husbands and wives need to always practice 
self-control. And if you as a husband or wife are practicing somehow restraining from being together in that level, I want you to understand me. The world, you sending your husband or your wife out, and you've got issues in the bedroom. You sending your husband and your wife out is like sending a hungry person out to buffet lines, a food court. There's free samples that are being given out on every level. So I'm just advising husbands and wives, make it a focus to start investing more time to enjoy one of the best things that God has ever planned to give to husband and wife, and that's sexual intimacy. Hebrews 11, 4 through 6, a marriage is to be held in honor at all times that is regarding as something of great value. And it says, in the marriage bed, be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So husbands and wives, here's your homework. Y'all ready for this? Here's your homework. Whatever it is that has been causing you guys to have distance, Pastor Damon, you don't understand. We have fought about this for 10 years, 15 years, 26 years. I'm asking you once again. Do your best. Whatever it is that's causing distance and intimacy, work on it. Open up the conversation. Amen? So for those of you husbands, who you ready for this challenge? Raise your hand. Somebody's standing up with two hands. All right? Well, listen, let's pray. 